good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. Now let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, thank you for this day, this time, this hour. Truly help us see, help us know, help us understand, God. Work in us to change us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15 is what we left off at last week. And what we're getting at is trying to understand the reality of the new birth. <clears throat> what it is that God does in us when we are born again. And to better appreciate the new birth, we got to answer the question, why must we be born again? As Jesus said, we must be born again. So <clears throat> last week we was talking about the fact that man is sinful. And it's the default nature of man to sin. That the best things about our heart is that it's wicked, it is deceitful, it leads us astray, that we can think we're doing good, doing fine, doing well, but if we follow in our heart, we're living a life of sin, destruction, deceitfulness, a life that is opposed to the nature and the beauty of God. Romans told us that we cannot please God because our sinful nature, our flesh, is the enemy of God. Ephesians was talking about how we are by nature children of God's wrath. And we're going to continue down that vein and try to understand better what does that mean and how do we get here. But I want to read it again because I want to keep this verse in your mind as we go forward over the next week or two. In Proverbs 17, verse 15, it says, He that justified the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. He that justified the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination unto the Lord. And this is where we stopped last week with the idea is that since God looks at the world and he see people, anybody who lifts up a wicked man and gives honor to him as being a just man, God views that as an abomination. You cannot bestow honor upon the wicked as being just. You cannot call that which is evil good and God take pleasure in it. Said God views that as an abomination. And the thought that always run through my mind is, if God applies that to me, if that's the way he views it, does he apply it to himself? Does God have the right to call the wicked just? Can God look at the evil, overlook their evil, and call them good? Because he said this is an abomination unto himself. So will God be an abomination unto himself? And the conclusion that I reach is no. God would not make himself loathe himself. So when we see our wickedness, when we see our evil, and as we begin to think about these things, one thing we cannot conclude is that God somehow exempts our wickedness and allow us to be wicked, but be acceptable at the same time. Because that would be an abomination. If he calls the wicked just, that's not righteous. But the condition that we find ourselves in is that there is no righteous man. We all are wicked. Our hearts are deceitful. We can do no good in and of ourselves. 
And the question I, I that we're going to focus on this week is how do we get there? Now everybody understand the story about Adam and Eve, but we're going we're going we're going to focus on that a little bit. Go to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six. Uh, chapter five. I'm sorry. Genesis chapter five. Genesis chapter five. Now, in Genesis, is the beginning. Everybody know and understand that. And where we are now in Genesis chapter five is after what is referred to as the fall. In Genesis chapter three, after God created man, the Bible tells us in Genesis one twenty seven that he made man in his own likeness after his own image. So man was created to be like God. God used himself as a blueprint for mankind. But in Genesis chapter 3, man rebelled against God and evil entered into the world. God created man in his own image after his own likeness. That's what we were created to be. Man rebelled against God and from that point, death, decay, and chaos entered into the world. You go in chapter 4, you see Cain killing his brother. And the evil continues from that point on. Where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 5. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man. In the likeness of God made he met him. Male and female created he them. And blessed them. And called their name Adam in the day that they were created. This is a summation. So this is the book of the generations. God created man. How did he create him? In his likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. And he called their name Adam. So man he referred to as Adam. The word Adam just simply means man. Mankind. So he called their name Adam. Are you with me? So God made man in his own likeness and called their name Adam. Go to verse 3. It says, And Adam lived 130 years and begat his son in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. So God created man in his image, in his likeness. Adam began to live and it said he created a son how? In his own likeness. So the sons that came from Adam were created after the image of Adam. God created Adam, mankind, in the image of God. And then Adam began to create. And he created sons after his image. And the principle is that God showed you. Read in Genesis chapter 1. Once he began to produce life, he produced trees. He said, let the trees bring forth fruit after their own kind. Let the animals begin to produce after their own kind. So the way God set up creation is, in his creation, all that is of that kind is within that creation. What I mean by that is, the seed of an apple tree contains every aspect of an apple tree. That little bit of seed, it got leaves in it. It has bark in it. It has roots in it. All the various aspects of the full tree is contained in the one seed. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because the seed was created to produce after the kind. And the same thing applies to man. We were created 
in the image of God and God put life in Adam and Adam from that point has the ability to create and replicate after his kind. So everything that flows from the loins of Adam has all that God put in man within it. So as we begin to replicate, God is not creating new souls every time he creates a being. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of people think that. That every time God, a human being is born, God crafts a whole new soul and put it in there. A lot of people think that. God created man. And man has all that man is within him. That's why those that got children, you can see and notice some things that cannot be replicated within your children. That's not physical. You understanding what I'm saying? There are people who don't know their father. Never lived with him. Never met him. But then they hear this thing growing up all the time through the people that know their dad. Well, you talk just like your dad. You walk just like your dad. You act just like him. Well, you, well, you ain't your dad's son. You hear stuff like that. And it goes all the way down to the disposition that they possess. What I mean by that is just their, their nature, their, their, their attitude. So I'm just super laid back and they don't know why. Then they meet their dad and he's super laid back and they don't know why. It's because all of the seed of mankind is within mankind. So as we replicate, we replicate who we are into the seed of our children. And that's what Adam did. Adam corrupted himself and his nature and began to pour forth that corruption into mankind. And that's how we get to the place that we are now. Go to Romans chapter 5. And this is where we're going to stick for a little bit. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. Let's start at 6. Said for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some will even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were sent enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Read that again. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, what Paul is referring to here, back in verse 12, we're going to walk this down, slow walk, and try to get some understanding. So wherefore, for this reason, by, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. So sin came into the world. And notice something. 
that sin came into the world, sin was not created at that moment. So when Adam sinned, it was not the creation of sin, but sin entered into the world. And notice secondly, before we go forth, that here, sin is a noun. And it's singular. So when Adam sinned, it said sin entered into the world. So there's this thing in the eyes of God that he referred to as sin. It's something, not the multiplicity of acts. Pay attention. It's not the multiplicity of acts that he's referring to. So he doesn't say sins entered into the world. So when Adam sinned, all the various things that we refer to as sin, it's not what he's talking about, but there's something concrete, something that is a singular thing that entered into the world with the sin of Adam. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when we refer to sin, when we think about sin, we're not purely thinking about the various acts that people do. We're not thinking about cussing folk out. We're not thinking about stealing. We're not thinking about all those various things because all those various things are manifestations of this one thing. It's like we was talking about last week. We said the thing that defiles a man is that what comes forth from him. Adultery, murder, fornication. He says all those things come from the heart of man. So there's something that produced these sin acts. And we're going to refer to that as sin itself. So when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. So the act of Adam produced something that entered into the world. And it says, and death came by sin. So sin came and sin brought death with it. And it says, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And this is where it gets a little tricky. Because Paul going to confuse us a little bit. So sin came, death rolled with sin, and death was passed around to everybody. And he said, because all have sinned. But then he put this little parentheses in here. Said, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So there's a point from Adam until Moses at Sinai. That's what he referred to. He said, until the law. So until the time that the law came, sin was in this world. So this power, this being, this sin was active in the world. But it says sin is not imputed where there is no law. What he mean by that is God does not count sin where law does not exist. That gets a little tricky. Say God does not count sin where law does not exist. But sin is imputed where there is no law. And 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So you got this period from Adam's sin all the way until the law came, where everybody is dying. So death reigned. Death is the the king, it's the boss from all this time. But he says sin is not imputed where there is no law. So how do you make sense of what you said earlier, Paul? Because a couple verses ago, he said all have sinned. He said death reigned because all have sinned. But you just told me God don't impute sin where there is no law. So how did everybody sin when it is no law? Because there's this principle God has that when you are in the loins of your father, your father stands as a representative. In Hebrews, when it talks about Melchizedek and Abraham, it said that the Levites paid tithes to Melchizedek. 
said the Levites paid tithes to Melchizedek. How did they pay tithes when they didn't exist? He said because they were in the loins of their father Abraham. So the actions of Abraham got credited to the Levites. So the way the Hebrew writer understood it that the Levites were paying tithe before they were even born because Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. And it works the same way. We were in the loins of Adam. Adam represents mankind. So when he sinned, we all have sinned. And the corruption that is Adam is passed upon all of us. It said God visit the iniquity of the children upon, I mean of the fathers upon the children to the third or fourth generation. So the death that came through seeing Adam curse the whole of his nature, the whole of all of his people got cursed through this one man's action. And we understand this a little bit because when the parents go to the rental center and get a whole house of furniture, they get the big old radio with the two 18s on that thing, fill up the whole neighborhood. I got the big old cabin and I take up all the space. They get the nice little Love seat and sofa, that thing, the glass table with the tiger print on <laughs> across that thing. <laughs> they get all that stuff. Get the children a new bunk bed. Get themselves a new queen, king bed. Just, just flood the house on out. Because the income tax holiday and all it takes is a down payment of $500 and we fill your whole house out. And they go do that thing. Then they realize that we broke. And that $500 down payment from the income tax check don't last for 12 months. So one thing end up happening. You see that big old truck pulling up, bouncing. <laughs> it's good. They stop. And you see these two little dudes strolling in there. Sorry, lazy as they want to be. And they come snatching stuff up out the folk house. Now, did the children get into debt? No. Did the children not pay these folks? No. But the children gonna have to lose their little race car bed. Why the children have to suffer when they ain't borrowing no money, they ain't do nothing wrong. They didn't fail to pay anybody, but now they got to sleep on the floor. You understand what I'm saying? And none of, none of us would say that the rental center folks did them people wrong, got them children sleeping on the floor. What we say? Now, their mama should be ashamed of herself, got them children sleeping on the floor. She knew she couldn't afford that funds. She should have went down to Goodwill and got her a bunk bed. That's what we say. We don't blame rental center when the children are sleeping on the floor. We blame the parents because the parents is the one that put themselves in that position that allowed the punishment to affect their children. And it works the same way. The nature of Adam came corrupted when he was separated from the one that gives life. 
And death began to reign and death began to take place because that sin was passed on to all generations. That's why they say even to those who did not sin after the similitude of Adam's transgression. What it means by that is people, they were doing wrong, but they didn't do what Adam did. What Adam did was disobey the direct command of God. These people didn't have a direct command of God. They was living after the nature of their father. And so they was reaping the benefits of their father. So from Adam to Moses, death would reign. People were dying. People were being destroyed. Life was being sucked out. And sin was there, but it was not imputed. God wasn't charging them for every little thing that they did. But Adam put something into the world that brought death, that brought chaos over all mankind. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And that's why, as a side point, we cannot believe in evolution. Because evolution put death before sin. Because evolution said that we get here through this process of natural selection. Where there was something existing, it lived for a long time, and it died, and it changed to something else, and so on, and it died. But of course, if, if, if what Paul is saying is true, death is the result of sin. So anytime death is in the world, it's because sin is in the world. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So... We got this place where death is there, but there is no law, even though these people did not sin, just like Adam sinned. But 15 said, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, have the bounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgments was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So we're talking about this, this transition. I just want to see the parallel for now. We're going to track back to this when I get to my ultimate point. But it said, just by one man's death, I mean one man's offense. So one man did wrong and death was poured forth on everybody. He said, just like that, through one man's obedience shall many be made righteous. And just like death reigned through the offense of one, many offenses, so a whole lot of sins, going to end up in justification, and life is going to reign through Jesus Christ our Lord. But you see the parallel there. Just like Adam, so is Christ. Just like the offense of Adam, so is the obedience of Christ. Just like the death through Adam, so it's the life of Christ. So we got this parallel between Adam's death, Adam's sin, and the effects of Adam's death and Adam's sin to the, Christ's obedience and the effects thereof. Keep that in mind. He paralleled them two. Y'all see that now? He compared them just like. Go to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all man to come to nation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this thing get a little spooky here. And this is where you're gonna have to pay real close attention. We're gonna, we're gonna use a little logic. How many of you have seen the manifestation 
of Adam's corruption in your life. Because it said Adam brought sin into the world. How many of you have seen Adam's corruption managed just by a show of hand? Let me see. All right. So just about everybody. They've seen the manifestation of Adam's corruption in their life. And what I mean by that is the sin nature that we inherited from him is displayed in the way that we live. So the thing that we got from Adam is displayed in the way that we live. Aaron inherited something from Adam. It's called sin. And Aaron, because of that, is by his nature subject to God's wrath. What that means, he's under it. The wrath of God is hovering right over Aaron's head. I'm going to bust your head, boy. But this strange thing happens. God does not bust his head as soon as he busts through the womb. God shows mercy and allows for Aaron to live. And then Aaron does this one strange thing. He actually do the sin that Adam did. And then God begins to punish him for his own sin. You understand what I'm saying? Aaron by nature is subject to God's wrath. But God's wrath is not poured out upon Aaron until Aaron do his own sin. In Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 1, it said, No longer shall you hear this proverb anymore in the land, that the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every man shall die for his own sin. Ezekiel 18 said, those soul that sin it, it shall surely die. So there's this justice in God's economy that even though he has the right to punish Aaron because of the wickedness that's within him, he allows Aaron to manifest that wickedness. So he gives Aaron a direct command and Aaron disobeys that command. Now Aaron going to be judged. And when Aaron stands before God, he's not going to say, you was corrupt from the time you were born. That's why you're going to hell. No, that's not what he's going to say. He said, you've been lying from the time you were talking. That's what he's going to tell him. Because the power of Adam's nature within us, nobody has overtaken. It manifests in all of us. We show it. So the position of being a sinner is demonstrated by all of us through our practice. That's the power of it. So when death is placed upon us, we rightly and justly deserve it. Because we live according to our nature. We live according to the sin. We live according to the evil that reigns within us. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when you lie, You are demonstrating the fact that you are a liar. Now understand, I want you to get this now. When you lie, you are demonstrating the fact that you are a liar. Lying doesn't make you a liar. You lie because you are a liar. And God just lets you do the evidence to prove that what he said is true. You understand what I'm saying? 
Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You're already a sinner. And that's the reason that you sin. Because the thing that corrupts us is produced by the heart that dwells inside of us. I'm not selfish because I was the fourth out of five children and I never had nothing on my own. I always had to share and all my clothes came from hand-me-downs. And that's the reason I'm selfish. No, I'm selfish because I am a selfish person. And I manifest that because that's what's in my heart. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So this corruption, it overflows and it manifests itself through their actions. So when you ask your children, why you do that? They can rightly say to you, Daddy, I'm a sinner and I just can't. (laughs) They, they, They can truly say that. I'm a, I'm a sinner and I just can't help it. <laughs> and all you can say is, that's the truth. <laughs> because that's reality. That's why we live the way that we live because of this fruit, this thing that has been passed on for generations. Because when Adam began to create kids, he said what? In Genesis 6, 5, he made children after his own likeness. So when you making them, you making them after your own likeness. You were sinful, selfish, a liar. And that's what you producing. Because it's in you. It's in our nature. Everywhere you find mankind, you find evil. Like I said, I get deep into the archaeology and stuff. I like that stuff. My wife get bored out of her mind. Sometimes she coming out. I'm watching some dude just digging and dusting dust off rocks and talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> About some stones that he found somewhere. That stuff gets real interesting. But one amazing thing I noticed in all these archaeological digs and stuff I pay attention to, everywhere they find people, they find evil. Folks murdering their children. Folks going to war and hunting. Death, disease, chaos. Everywhere they find people. Everywhere. Anytime they find records of anybody, somebody got killed. <laughs> that's just the way it works they ain't, they ain't never saw no thing where they find out some scroll or some tablet and the heading was that we all love one another and the whole town existed in peace and harmony I ain't never seen that everywhere you see people you see evil because people are evil you understand what I'm saying and this evil is manifested where does this evil come from it comes from our nature. As by one man offense, it goes through everybody. But this is what things get shaky at now. Because there's a parallel. Now, if the power of Adam's sin is so great, The power of Adam's sin was so great. Read in verse 14. said, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. So Adam was the figure of who? Him that was to come. And then from this point on, he began to show a parallel. 
Adam was the figure. He was the image. He, he was the example of somebody that was going to come later. And his work parallels with this person's work. So if we can say that our position in Adam as sinner is manifested daily through our actions and we can't help it, ain't nothing we can do about it. What does that say about our position as righteous in Christ? Because the parallel is that just like Adam sinned and it produced something in you that brought death and won nothing you could do about it, just like to the same degree Christ obeyed and his obedience was placed upon you and it put righteousness upon you. And this righteousness has to parallel with the sin that we gained from Adam. It has to. Or else this whole little passage don't make no sense. And that's why Paul can say at the end that grace abounds even much more. It goes beyond the sin that dwells within us. And this grace is through the one man's obedience. So Christ did something. That manifests grace and righteousness in me, and it parallels to what Adam did. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky at. Because I've been taught and I was trained that this work of Jesus, this righteousness, this grace puts me in a position, and that's all it does. It puts me in a position, and if I pray hard enough, if I work hard enough, if I be around the right people long enough, I might by the time that I die start doing right. That's what that's what they told me. You're a sinner. You're always going to be a sinner. You can't help it. But what Paul is saying is that the work of Christ parallels to the work of Adam. So if Adam's work can put me in a position of being a sinner that is manifested through my actions, why isn't it that Christ's works put me in a position of being righteous and that manifests through my actions. Because they parallel. Look, look at it. Verse 19. Set for us by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. One man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So that many were made sinners, you were made a sinner, not only in nature, but it shows through your work. Your action. So, to the same degree, by the obedience of one shall many be made what? Righteous. So since Christ obeyed, you are now made righteous. And that should show through your what? Actions. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So, if Paul's statement is true, the same power in the same degree that sin is manifested through me, righteousness should be manifested through me. Because now I have a new federal head. I have a new father. My generations have started over. You understand what I'm saying? And it's amazing how we allow church to delude our mind. Because I, I, I was taught and I grew up and I really believe this thing. They told me that because of who I was and where I came from and my ancestors, there was a whole lot of stuff in me that I got to get out. Church folk, we refer to them as generational curses. 
And understand what I'm saying? Yeah, y'all heard that before. Generational curse. You look down your family line. You got an uncle that was a bootlegger. You got another uncle that was a drunk. And you got all this stuff that flow on and flow on. Your grandma was the shot house and she sold liquor. So that chances are you're going to either be a criminal or a drunk. Because that's what's in your family line. And when you get saved, you got to confess all that stuff and get all that stuff out. That's what they told me. But the thing that amazes me is they have so much belief in the power and the efficacy of the sinfulness of those people. That they believe the fornication of my great-great-granddaddy is so strong that even though I confess Jesus, it still has the power to manifest in me. That's what they tell me. That the devilishness curses that may have happened somewhere back in Africa somewhere is so strong that voodoo and all this other stuff is in me and I got to get it out because my great-great-great-grandfather cousin was a mason. This type of crazy stuff you hear. But the thing that amazes me, why we got so much hope in what them evil people can do, but we don't have the same faith, we don't have the same expectation in the power of what Christ can do. He said his one offense can, his one obedience can make all us righteous. But that can only put me in a position and I can't live it out. It ain't no good then. If it can't defeat the power that, that puts me in a position where I need to help, it ain't no good. If Christ's righteousness can only put him in a position where he deludes himself and he got to lie to himself and tell me that I am righteous and tell me that I am good, even though I'm beating on my wife, I'm cheating, I'm stealing, it ain't no good. What is it doing? What is the benefit of believing in Jesus if all he can do is make God a liar? You understand what I'm saying? But we started at Proverbs. God does not justify the wicked. He ain't going to call you righteous when you're wrong. God ain't no liar. God don't play psychological tricks with himself. That if I tell myself that the world is good, it's going to be good one day. God ain't sitting there in heaven saying, Aaron is good. Aaron is good. He's a righteous, mighty man of God. And just hoping that one day it's going to be. No. God has power. And God did a work. He sent his son down here to die to change and transform people. And the obedience of his son was to replace the disobedience of Adam. And since Adam's disobedience can cause sin to be everywhere that Adam's people are, why can't righteousness be everywhere that Jesus' people are? You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to change our expectation. We have to change our hope and change our desire because we got too much faith in this sin. We believe it. I'm always going to be a sinner. I'm always going to do wrong. I'm always going to struggle with something. Why can't Christ's righteousness defeat Adam's wickedness? Because if Paul is telling the truth, it's supposed to be the same. You understand what I'm saying? It's supposed to be the same. But the theologians going to tell you they get deep. See, the imputation that comes through Adam's sin Brings upon all men and it has distorted our nature. So now we struggle with our flesh and our flesh is this evil thing that cannot be um, acceptable to God. But the imputation of Christ's righteousness is not a literal imputation of righteousness, but it is a positional righteousness that God now sees us as righteous because the word righteous means to be seen or viewed as righteous. That's what they're going to tell you. Yes, yes, right standing. That's it. 
So we are imputed. We are placed in right standing with God. And I always have to ask the question. Why God got to have the fake one? Adams is real. Adam sin just ain't put me in wrong standing with God. Like I'm doing all this right in the world, but cause of Adam, I'm in wrong standing with God. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? No, I ain't never heard nobody preach that. But they always tell me that I'm going to be doing all this wrong, but you're in right standing with God. I thought it was supposed to be the same. Ain't that what he said? For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And that made sinners is not just a positional thing. It's an actual lifestyle that we live. Ain't no theologian that's going to disagree with that. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So the parallel is between the made sinners and the made righteous. But now all of a sudden made means declare. When it comes to doing right, it means declared. When it comes to doing wrong, it means made. Please don't let nobody trick you. God's work is real. And that's why he can say that the grace abounds much more. What sin did abound? What did it abound? It abound in Adam's children. Everywhere. Grace abounds much more. So in Paul's mind, the efficacy of Christ's work is greater than that of Adam's. Because it oversees, it goes much more. But it is in the line of the connection of the parallel between the two actions. So grace is connected with us being made righteous. So grace works. It moves greater than the power that sin does. So Edmund should be able to say, man, I was telling the truth. I didn't even realize. Man, I just slipped up and told the truth. <laughs> because he can say the reverse and we don't see nothing strange with that like man I, I lied I didn't realize I lied we, we understand that but if you be like man I just be walking around telling the truth sometimes I don't even want to tell the truth and I do tell the truth <laughs> like man I be loving all these people man I don't even know why I love her I just can't do never love her. I don't even know why. That don't even sound right. <laughs> but if I say, I can't stand her, I don't know why. Yeah, it be like that sometimes. <laughs> I, I, I had the same thing going on sometimes. Because we used to that. And we got more hope in that than we do in Jesus. And the amazing thing is we accept that inside the church. That we accept people saying, I hate them and I don't know why. They just get on my nerves. I wish they just gone somewhere. And I'd be like, well, that's cool, girl. I know. I understand. Now, that's what you tell them. You encourage them and they send for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are y'all with me, though? So let's see. Can we get to a place where we have the same expectation and we have the same desire, we have the same 
longing to see the manifestation of Christ's righteousness within us. Because where sin abounds, grace do much more abound. What does that mean? I would like to say that a brother like myself, I got more grace than Aaron. He might disagree with me. I would say I got more. What do you mean by that? Because I think I'm more wicked than what he is. And that's what it means by what sin abounds, grace do much more abound. The more wicked you are, the more grace God pours upon you. That's why Paul was praying in 2 Corinthians for help. He said, my grace is made, my strength is made perfect through your weakness. Because my grace is sufficient for thee. That means my grace is all that you need to overcome what it is that you're struggling with. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? So let's just take it home a little bit. You, you, let's flesh this picture all the way out. Now, Let's say you sitting at home and you struggling. All the impulses of sin begin to rise in your heart. Just, I'm talking about just overtaking you. You just, just feeling all bad. What do you do? Do you say, this is who I am. Lord, I just can't help it. Do you grit your teeth? Get your mind and say, I ain't going to do it, 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 I ain't going to do it. (laughs) Or do you understand that you have access to something that has the ability to overpower the power of sin that's within you? Because where sin abounds, grace do much more abound. So there's grace that can go over or above what it is the sin is working within you. It don't meet it. It goes over it. That's not what sin, that's not what grace does. It don't collide head on with your sin and say, I'm gonna stop it. You ain't gonna get her. You ain't gonna get her this. No, no. This grace comes and it goes over. It overpowers. It takes you through it. It gives you the strength to overcome it. Not just to sit there and say, I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. You understand what I'm saying? But this grace works and it, and it works through righteousness. So the next place that we got to get ourselves to is not just the resistance of sin. But God called us and he transformed us that just like we were evil and it was our desire, it was our mind, we thought about how we can do wrong, what wrong we can do, what way we can do wrong better. Our mind should be working and operating because righteousness is in us now. How much right can I do? What way can I love people better? What way can I reach out to people more? What way is it that I can help people? What way is it that I can draw closer to God? That's the way our minds should be ticking. Because just like sin works and it ticks and our thoughts are evil from our youth that Genesis tell us, righteousness should work and our thoughts should be good, righteous, pure, lovely, and all that stuff that is of a good report. You understand what I'm saying? So let's stop getting off this fence and thinking that I'm struggling with two natures. You're not. God does not create Schizophrenic beings. You ain't sitting on the fence struggling with two natures. I got my sin and I got the real me. The save me and the real me. Got to pick which one. I'm going to let show. Because them folks at work, they almost made them show them who I really am. That's how you talk. They almost made me. I'm telling you, for real, cuz. <laughs> man. Y'all, man, you just don't know. 
And that's where we at. That ain't where you should be. Ain't no two natures no more. Your nature has been changed. Those who are in Christ are brand new creations. Behold, all things are new. A brand new creation. All things are new. So if your old response is to slap people, you got a new response now. You understand what I'm saying? Because all things are new. Go to Psalms chapter 40. And this is where we're going to stop at. Psalms chapter 40. Listen, listen to David. Watch this. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me. He heard my cry. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. It's David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me. He heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and he established my going. So this is David. He said he waited patiently on the Lord. What did God do? He heard his cry. He inclined his ear unto him. So he brought me out of a horrible pit. A horrible pit means the grave. He, he, he brought me up out of death. He took me out of the miry clay. The thing that had me going down, the thing in which I was sinking, and he put set my feet upon a rock. And now he has established my goings. That means he found it the way that I walk. My going forth, the, 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 the manner of my life has been surrounded and founded by God. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So he took him out of the pit. What's the pit? The grave. Death. He took him out of the miry clay. The, 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 the thing that had him sinking down. Now, if he would do it for David, would he not do it for you? And what do I mean by that? If you are living according to your sinful nature, you find yourself in a pit. In that pit, it's the pit of who you are. Paul cried out, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Referring to his sinful, natural being. The pit that you are buried in is you. Your own mind. Your own thoughts, your own heart's desires, it got you drowning. The clay is you. You are the worst thing that ever happened to you. Worse than anything that could have happened to you in this world. Because if Justin shoots me, he destroyed my body. But if I act against me, I have the ability to put myself in a position where my body and my soul can be destroyed by the Lord above. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Cancer has the ability to ravage this body. But I have the ability to ravage my soul because evil dwells within me. So I'm the worst thing that could ever happen to me. I need help to be delivered from me. But God is there. And it says, if you wait patiently for him, what did what did, what did he say he did? He inclined unto me and he heard my cry. Y'all remember, most of y'all old enough to know, 
Back when uh, she ain't thinking of the video now. It was Michael Jackson. He was doing one of his slick little dances. Can't think of the video. Smooth Criminal. Y'all remember Smooth Criminal. Now, Smooth Criminal, Michael Jackson and his people, they do that, that, that smooth little move where they lean in like that right now. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't do it. These killers are very stiff. I ain't ran in a long time. <laughs> But they lean in. And when I read this, that's the picture I get. That when I get to the point where I realize I'm jacked up and I'm sinful, I can see over the banister of heaven, Jesus just leaning in. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, like he getting crunk, he getting excited. Huh? When Chelsea get to that point where she at the end of herself, she been trying. She been praying. She been going to counseling. She been doing all this and she got all these ideas of what she gonna be and she realized ain't none of this stuff happening. Ain't none of this stuff working. God, I quit. Then God just lean in like that right now. <laughs> Cause that's what he wanna hear. Yeah. <laughs> and if we can get to that place where we reach the end of ourselves and we realize that in me, that is in my flesh. There is no good thing. Then we have reached the place where grace operates. And grace is poured out. Grace upon grace. But I want you to understand. It ain't just no theoretical thing. It ain't just no pie in the sky that you don't see the reality of it. No, it's a real thing. Where God really reached down. Where God really inclines himself unto you. And he really hears your prayers. And he really comes inside of your heart. And he really transforms you. And you really live like you know him. But it's him. It's not a position. It's not a theological thought. It's life. And if all of our salvation is, it's just a good theological talk that give me some hope one day until I die, your theology is wrong. Because if Christ's power does not oversee Adam's sin, Christ's power ain't real. Ain't that one of us going to say that. So that means I need to expect to see some reality of Christ within me. And I can get there. All I got to do. Wait patiently on the Lord. Cry out to God. And when do I stop crying? When I see it. And when I see it. I know it ain't me that got it. So what's the only way I'm going to keep it? I keep on crying. So God now that you made me righteous. Keep me righteous. God, now that you changed me and you've given me a heart of love, let me continue to love God, love. Let it increase. Let it abound more and more and more. We don't stop seeking God. We don't stop crying out to God because we never stop needing God. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions?